Welcome to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, Torah with a Point of View, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, your host and dean of the Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles. I'm very excited to welcome to the Bully Pulpit Podcast, Daphna Rosenberg. Daphna is a singer, composer, and prayer leader in the Jewish renewal community, Navatahila, in Jerusalem. She travels throughout Israel and around the world, connecting people within and across communities to each other and to God by giving concerts and leading prayers and workshops. Daphna, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us. Himeni. So I, uh, I read up a bit on your bio and your music. And so the first thing I was curious about was the fact that you called yourself, you had a stage in life where you were a wandering troubadour. Hmm. And so that begged the question, uh, you know, where did you wander? And not only how far did you wander on earth, but you also imply that you wandered away from and back to your Judaism. So, so give me the literal wandering and the figurative wandering. Okay. When I finished my, I did my first degree in Israel at the Hebrew University in French language and literature and what's called like a general BA. I finished that when I was 27 and uh, I wanted to go traveling like many Israelis, even though that was about six or seven years later than the norm. Like I didn't do it after the army. And I went traveling for six months in the Far East. I went to Nepal, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, and I traveled for six months. And also a typical route for many Israelis. Yes, yeah. yes, very typical for many Israelis. Uh, Tibet and China as well, I was there. And after six months, I went back home. And I think it took me about three days to understand that I want to continue. I stayed in Israel for a few months to make a bit of money, working right. with the Jewish agency, doing all kinds of things. And, and then my, my cousin was on, her way to, was on her way to Canada with her two little children, and she wanted help. I said, I'm coming with and you. And you were born in Canada, right? Yes, I was born in Canada, though my parents made Aliyah when I was three months old. Okay. But I still have, a lot of, still have a lot of family back in Canada. So she said, I'm going to visit. You want to join, help me with the kids? I said, sure. And I made some money, and after a few months, I left again. I left with her, spent some time there, and then I just... And then I just continued, and I went to, I continued to, um, a friend of mine joined me, and we continued to Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and spent a lot of time there. And when my money finished, I went back to Israel, <laughs> made a little bit more money, and continued being on the road. And then I, went, then I went to India for six months. My money finished again. I went back and made a little bit more money. And then I left, and I was on the way to Italy, and then I went for about four years. All in all, it was seven years on the road. Really? With your guitar or without So, it? no. When I started, I, did not, I was not singing or playing the guitar. In my travels, um, just before I was, about three years after I started my travel, travels, when I was 30, 
I was living in a rainbow community in the mountains in Italy, in Tuscany. Wow. And on my third night there, I dreamt a dream that I'm playing the guitar and I'd never touched a guitar before. And I woke up in the morning and I said to my friend that I had this dream and he said, okay, I'll give you my guitar. And he started to teach me A minor, E minor. And I was so excited and like I spent every day like uh, singing and, and singing and playing the guitar and writing music and it was like a whole new world for me. And then I left this community after about two months and I said, okay, I have to find another place. And I found myself in a Franciscan Catholic community in Assisi in Italy and they had guitars there and I was singing, I was singing like Hebrew prayers in the church there and they like absolutely adored it. They were right, like, right. wow, we have like somebody singing and speaking the, the, the holy... language of the Torah. Right, right, the language right. of the Holy Land. And then after that I said, okay, I have to buy a guitar. So then I bought my first guitar in Naples in Italy and I found myself just wandering around. From there I continued to Canada and then Canada, Hawaii, back to Italy, New Zealand. I was like all over. I spent. What was the hardest place for you? The, the place where it was the most sterile or most painful of all those places? Sterile or painful? I think it doesn't have to do with the physical place. When I look at, my, at those years, I think the places that were hard were the places where I was having a hard time inside, not outside. And where I felt sometimes, you know, I, tra I traveled most of that time, those seven years I traveled on my own. I met a lot of people, um, but I, I had like periods of traveling on my own, traveling, traveling with other people. But I think met lots of, lots of lonely moments, but were, when I look back at it, I think those, it was moments of really looking inside, of looking inside. And, and this brings me to what you asked afterwards, like what was I, you know, what was I, not the physical traveling, but the inner traveling was very strong. One of the things that I decided at one point was to let go of my uh, origin, of my Jewish and Israeli origin. And since I had a Canadian passport, I could say I'm Canadian, and I changed my name. For a year I traveled with, I called myself, um, I called myself Jazzy. That was my uh, a friend of mine helped me, and it was a very powerful experience putting back the um, the baggage that I had of being Israeli, Jewish, my family, home. It's like I needed to see who I am, not connected to my home, and I think that was a very powerful experience. And when I look back today, I know that this was totally necessary to bring me back to where I am today. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine. Not many people take that step though of actually experimenting with disengagement. Did you also disengage in terms of communication with your family? A little bit. <laughs> There's only so far you can go, right? Well, you know, there was a, there was a period of a few months which was a, a hard and painful one, but we went through it and I'm very very close to my family. Right. Was still am with the, you know, being very close to your family has its Sure. Has its uh, ties. It's a double-edged sword. And right, double-edged sword. But I'm very close to them. Right, right. And what you're really saying is that I, I pose the question with respect to sterility and pain, and what you're really saying is that pain is fertile, not sterile. Yes. So, what was the what was the kind of Judaism you were leaving behind, or Israeliness mm -hmm. that you were leaving behind, and what was the kind of Judaism and Israeliness that you returned to? So I grew up in a, what I would call like a modern Orthodox home. I mean, my parents came from Canada. It was something that wasn't very known in Israel at the time. I mean, we didn't drive on Shabbat, but we did answer the phone and, and watch TV on Friday night, but we didn't put the fire, like fire on for, for cooking. It's like a, a combination that was very 
I mean, today I think it's more apparent, but at the time, like 50 years ago, this was either you were a chiloni or a... You were secular. The, you're se sorry, you were secular, religious, or ultra-Orthodox. Right, those, right. those were the options. And my dad sent us, my parents sent us to a school um, in Haifa. I grew up in Haifa to uh, Reali School, which was, um, it was a private uh, school, which was not religious, was secular. Um, but they did teach a little bit more religious studies than they did in regular schools. Um, but all my friends were totally secular, so I went to Tzofim on Shabbat, and all of my friends, their parents took Tzofim as scouts. Like, uh, they took them to, to on Saturday with the cars, and like I walked. So it was very, or when I ate at my friends' houses, I was eating like on plastic plates because I needed to eat kosher. And, so it was very different, and I think that as a child and as a teenager at the time, it wasn't easy. And I remember having discussions with my dad about that. Like, as a child, it's very hard to have, like, two... Two worlds. Right, two worlds. Looking back now, I think that was probably one of my gifts of being so open to many different ways of living as an adult. And mm. open, liberal, um, able to... It stretches you. Yes. It definitely stretched me as a child. And I think it was my... As you said, like, it was. it's a fertile, not sterile. <laughs> so it's like... It was the ground from which I could grow into, I think, into what I'm doing today. Did your parents speak to you in English growing up? They spoke to us in English, and between me and my brothers, my, I have two older brothers, we spoke Hebrew. Yeah, that's so a, it's like a typical pattern. Yes, yeah, and I still speak English. Yeah. So when people say, oh, you were just three months old, so you're Israeli, I said, well, no, because I grew up in a North American household, mm. in a Canadian household, even though... All my friends were Israeli, and I was speaking Hebrew. And Hebrew, like I say, English is my mother tongue, but Hebrew I speak better. Yeah. <laughs> like that. My children are the same thing. Their 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 mother tongue is Portuguese, but they speak English better. Okay. Just yeah. for the same, exactly the same mm, reason. So it's the same. It's a very common dynamic in immigrant societies. Mm. It's, uh, so I think so. I grew up in a. I, I didn't learn much Judaism, and I. It was very. It was religious and traditional the house, but it wasn't. It wasn't in my sense. It wasn't spiritual. It's like I went to Yom Kippur, we went to shul, and you know, you read the book, and, and the siddur, and Kabbalah Shabbat. Actually, we didn't go to Kabbalah Shabbat. It was like the holidays, and sometimes on Shabbatot, and it was mostly my, my brothers and my dad that would go to shul every, every week, and, and uh, my brothers had, like, they studied with a, like, religious studies. And when I went on my travels, I think I was looking for the spirit. And I lived in any, in any possible spiritual community. I lived in a Hindu community. I lived in a Buddhist community. I lived in a Franciscan community. I lived in an organic community. Yeah. I lived in many different places. You were seeking. Yes, I was definitely seeking. I was seeking to find something, something that's not, that's deep inside of me. And I think one of the biggest gifts that I got those years, the, the spirituality, but is the music. Uh, I would not have imagined, if you asked me 20 years ago, if, when I was 50, I would be, this is what I'd be doing, like leading, singing and leading and, and traveling around the world doing music. There is no way I would mm -hmm. believe you. I think also, at least the, the narrative of young Israelis is that it's also one of the typical qualities of the journey is that spiritual vacuum that mm -hmm. uh, they're looking for. And maybe it's generational, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But you clearly came back to something, and what, what, what did you yeah. come back to? When I, when I came back, a friend of mine invited me to come to some community in the desert in Israel to celebrate Yom Kippur. And I remember that so, so strongly. It was with a, um, a Jewish renewal rabbi. And it was the first time that, I, even though I had celebrated you know, Yom Kippur for so many years with my family, 
I remember calling my dad at the end of Yom Kippur and saying this is the first time I understood what Yom Kippur was about. It was a very, very deep experience of really going into it, understanding what it is. I was very taken by the, the suddenly something really, Simon nafal. It's like it really... The, the, we say the, the penny dropped. Thank you, the penny dropped. That the combination of, of my Jewish roots that I am very, very connected to, that's what I grew up with, to the spirit, to the spirituality. And the combination of the two of them was like, wow, this is, this is it. And then I was, in, I was meeting people and I was singing and playing. And, and after about, I think, two years, I was still, when I came back, uh, after seven years, I came back to Israel and I was want, still wandering around Israel for three and a half uh, years, searching for communities, living in a yoga community in the south, living in a vegetarian community in the north. I was like all over. And then I was going through some kind of a personal crisis in my life, and this friend of mine said, go see this uh, couple, Ruth and, Mike, Ruth and Michael Kagan. Interesting. So I, I said, okay. And I called Ruth, and I said, hi, like, my name is Daphna, and I, I'd like to come and see you. And she said, okay, I'll pray about it. And then she called me, like, two days later, and, and I came back, and we started... Um, well, I want, right now I want to say, like, this is Rabbi Ruth Gankagan who leads our community, and I want to say, like, the rest is history. Yeah, I came to her, and the first few months I was working with her on, a, like, a personal basis. Like doing, she was, like, a personal, like, a spiritual mashpi'a. I don't know. Uh, Influence. His, well, it's not, like, in, uh, in the Jewish renewal world, the mashpi'im oh, are, like, um, a guide or yeah, a guide. like a spiritual guide. It's, from the, it's not only from the influence, but from the word shefa, like bringing abundance. Uh, oh, oh. Okay, yeah, so great. she, so we had a, a very close. Um, we were working together, and she was really helping me, and teaching me a lot of like Hasidut and Kabbalah, yeah. and like inner the inner world, the inner Jewish spiritual world. Uh, and after about a few months, after a few months, she said to me, "Would you like to lead Kabbalah Shabbat with me?" And I said, "Sure," because I was I was already playing and singing in all kinds of circles, singing anything from Hare Krishna to to Om Namah Shivaya to all kinds of you know different traditions. And so I was leading in rainbow songs. I was leading many circles. And she said, "Do you want to lead Kabbalah Shabbat?" I said, "Sure." And I remember that evening we sat in the living room and she said, we went through the six Tehillim of Kabbalah Shabbat and she said, just choose a pasuk that, that speaks to you and write a verse. This, from a verse Psalms. Yeah, a verse from Psalms. And I think some of those, from that first session that we have, I think at least five or six of the songs that were written that evening were, came to our, in our first CD. The, the flavor of a lot of the videos that are posted is that living room flavor. Yes, yes it is. I, I've noticed. Yes. Uh, it's a, it's a that, charming quality. Yeah, that living room has produced a lot, a lot of things, yes. a lot of connections, a lot of spirit, a lot of, uh, a lot of heart. Well, would you sing us uh, a song that, sure. or, or a verse, whatever your settings are, that captures a little bit of the spirit that you're referring sure. to? Sure. So today's Saturday, so I thought that I'd like to sing the Mizmor Shir Le Yom Shabbat. Mizmor Shir Le Yom Shabbat. Mizmor Shir Le Yom Shabbat. Tov leodot la donai Shimcha el yom, 
return to the Bully Pulpit, we want to tell you about other programs on the College Commons platform for digital learning. Beyond this podcast, which is available to the public at large, synagogue subscriptions offer in-depth learning, including online courses, live interviews, and a new program called The Teaching Podcast, selected episodes from the Bully Pulpit enhanced with texts and teaching tools. We look forward to meeting you at collegecommons.huc.edu. Now, Back to, oh, one more thing. Help us out and rate us in iTunes. And whatever you do, do not give us five stars, unless we deserve it. Now, back to our podcast. The Psalms are typically the greatest prayerful inspiration in the Jewish tradition as a a body of literature, and for the Christian tradition by extension. But I want you to tell me what it is about Tehillim, because I looked at, at, at the songs which, which you have composed settings for, as opposed to the traditional ones you may sing. You've drawn a lot from psalms in that tradition and in the spirit, but, but tell me what it is about the psalms for you personally that so moves you. I, I think that the, the original reason why we've, we've composed so, so many psalms is because we started with Kabbalah Shabbat. Kabbalah Shabbat is composed from, from six, actually no, eight psalms, six before Lechadodi and then two psalms afterwards. And they're beautiful psalms. They're psalms that have nature in them and connection to God and yearning and difficulty and, and joy and music. Like it ha- there's, there's a whole world to them. It's, like, it's not a surprise that so many people want to compose. Like that's what they are. They're, they're songs. They're not just yeah. psalms; like they're they're meant to be written with music, and and I think that's what definitely at the beginning that's what drew me to compose Tehillim. I've composed also other things like from different from different uh, from prayers like from morning prayers from Rosh from the high holiday prayers from Rosh Hashanah and, and uh, Yom Kippur and Simchat Torah. I don't think there's something that's just specific in what I compose that's just Tehillim. It's like anything that I use in my prayer, I want it to be connected to my heart. And through, the, through, through composing and chanting and singing it, that's what brings it. So it could be anything. It goes all the way also to, I also compose like poetry. I've composed, you know, Leah Goldberg and, and Zelda and like uh, Israeli, Israeli poets. poets yeah. And the composing is really what connects it to my heart. It's like I, I own it when I compose it. And then it's like my personal prayer. 
I mentioned before the the hominess, the hamishkeit of your of your videos, the ones that you choose to post. They're so they're kids. I don't know if they're your kids, but they look like. I mean, it's such a homey feeling, and uh, some of the most charming ones are with the kids. I was wondering if you would if you would sing a song that has. I'm trying to think. I don't remember what. Asher lo maybe? Yes, yeah, that's it. That's we it. have... Um, it's a completely different vibe. Yeah, this is actually, I would probably say, this is the first psalm I ever composed. Asher lo is from Psalm 95, which is the first psalm of Kabbalah Shabbat. And when we sat together, Rabbi Ruth, uh, together with me in the living room in that first session, that was, I looked at the Psalm 95, that was the phrase that I, that spoke to me. And that was the first uh, song. And for years, that would be like... Um, we had the children sing at the Kabbalah but some of the children, one of the girls there was Rabbi Ruth's daughter uh, that sang it, and, and also later there were other children, like Rabbi Ruth's niece that was singing, and different children that were part of their, their parents were part of the community. And they would actually sing it also at the Kabbalah but They would start like the first verse, and then everybody would join. Uh, when we and we when we recorded the CD, we wanted the the kids' voice to be in, at the beginning of the at the beginning of it. So I'll be happy to see. Yeah, it. it's got an, a great a great feeling to. Asher lo hayam vehu asahu veyabeshet yadav yatsau. The sea is his; he has created it, and the land was the creation of his hands. influencing Israeli Jewish life. That's one of the ways we think about how we expend our resources, our money, our time, we send our kids. A lot of American Jews think this way, but Reformed Jews in particular are aiming for real change in Israel. We, we invest a lot. The Hebrew Union College has a campus. The Reform Movement has, it has created the, the Israel Movement for Progressive Judaism. I could go on, and, and you're familiar with all this. How do you experience our efforts, our desires uh, to, 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 to shape Israeli society from, from a distance? I think the, I mean, the, the reform movement also in Israel is growing uh, in the last few years. Um, so there's an influence both from the reform movement in the States and, um, and in Israel. I think that the, the direction that I think it is Moving is, is what you say is like social, like social justice change. Mm-hmm. That I, I feel that there's a, 
there's an influence on Reform Judaism, like on egal like being egalitarian, and I mean, of course, everything that's happening at the at the Kotel, though it's not only the Reform movement. There's like Reform, there's yeah. Conservative, there's Renewal. A there's, lot of partners, yeah. Right, there's a lot of partners, but I think that that's in that sense, it's definitely it definitely has an influence. In general, I think there's a lot of people in Israel are looking to reconnect to their Jewish roots. I think I grew up in an in an era where, if you, as I said before, you were either uh, Orthodox or ultra Orthodox or or secular, and a lot of people are looking for a connection, a renewed connection to their Jewish roots, not through the Orthodox Judaism. And the Reform Judaism is one of those ways. Like it's important for me also to say, since I'm personally not in the Reform, I'm movement. not in the Reform movement. And my rabbi, Rabbi Ruth Gan Kagan, is a Jewish renewal rabbi right. ordained right. by Reb Zalman Shechter Shalomi. That there's a whole movement in Israel that we're part of, and the Reform movement is part of, of finding ways for for Israelis to connect to their Jewish roots without having to be Orthodox. Right. And I think in that there's a very big influence for the reform movement. There's more and more reform communities, or I would say there's lots of kehilot mitchadshot, many renewal communities that are, some of them are connected to the reform movement, some of them are renewal like us. Right. Some of them are, are communities on kibbutzim and moshavim that are not necessarily affiliated with any. I mean, there's Bet Fila Israeli in Tel Aviv, there's Niguna Lev in Nahalal, that those are unnecessarily affiliated communities, but they're definitely wanting to find their connection to the... And they're part of the shared spirit of the non-orthodoxy in exactly. America. That right, right. So in that sense, like, you know, you could say that the reform movement that's so big in America and it's also influencing Israel is also bringing a rising interest of people connecting to their Jewish roots in a new, renewed, heartful, connected, spiritual way. And you see some success there. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, you're a part of it. I mean, I'm, I'm a part of it. Of that, I'm a of part a broader of broader spirit yes, of renewal. Yes, right, yeah. right. Lowercase r, renewal. Sorry? Lowercase r, renewal. Yes, yes, yes. D- all together, yeah. Right, all together. And I say some are affiliated, some are not affiliated. Right, right. But there's a whole renewal movement that's definitely happening. And, and Kabbalot Shabbat are sprouting, like, everywhere. Right. Like right. Kabbalot Shabbat in, in Kibbutzim and Moshavim that, you know, 30 years ago, nobody right, would... Right even talk about that. Right, they feel uncomfortable. Right, I mean, we've, we've, we've had in our community um, two prayer leaders that were both um, kibbutznikim, like yeah. they grew up on kibbutzim, and they came to Navateila the first time without knowing what Shema Israel or Baruch Hu was. Okay, they were like in their 20s. Typical socialist kibbutz kind right, of. Right, they had no idea what that, and something about our community, Navateila, helped them like connect to something in, in their Jewish roots. Both of them now, by the way, are Orthodox. No. Both of them moved from, they found they a, a step. <laughs> I don't know if they skipped, they went uh, through it. Right, 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 they went right. through the step. Like, they would not have been able to enter the, the Jewish um, tradition through an Orthodox door. They were able to come into it through our door because it was, it was, it was an open door. And now they've chosen their way to connect right. to the divine. So, as a last question, you come to us as an Israeli. What do you personally bring that's uniquely Israeli to, to, to us as a gift? And perhaps more broadly speaking, what, what is it that American Jews need to know about Israel? Mm. I think as a musician and a prayer leader, what I feel is that when we come here to bring is a deep connection to the, to the words of the text. I think that our compositions and what we write in the music are very, very connected to the text because it's our, because it's our mother tongue. 
people who write music like back here in the state they they're not always con- they write the music but it's not always connected to the to the to the words i think we ve- bring a very strong connection to that with our music and also there's a diversity in israel somebody once asked me not long ago like what's the influence like of our music and because we grew up in a in a land that there's so much music there's moroccan music and western music and and eastern music and there's so, there's like a blend of so many things like world music that we grew up into it so i think we bring when we come to here with our music and prayer we come with a very deep connection to the words and to the music and the spirit and i feel that the reform movement is really embracing us like the doors are really really open for it. i think that what the the reform movement here in the states has to give to us in israel is um an openness to celebrate judaism in a different way in an open way i think that's still there's still we still have a lot to learn in that how to celebrate your how to celebrate your judaism in an open way and i'm saying not to us specifically to navatila but to israel yeah. before i was talking about what navatila and our music we bring to the states but now bring like what the reform movement can bring to israel as a whole it can be egalitarian it can be women and men there's like a, a allowance allowance in the sense of uh, to allow permission a permission thank you <laughs> a permission to 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 be jewish and to and to express it in an open and liberal way I think that's a, a big good. gift. We're proud of it then. That's great. Both both sides of the of the relationship. It's a real pleasure. It's a mechaya. So would you take us out with a song of your choice? Uh, yes. Hmm. Our latest CD that came out just about six or seven months ago is called Havaya. One of the things that is very strong in, in our spiritual work is connecting, is connecting to the divine, is finding our own connection to the divine and helping people also find their connection. And the word Havaya is actually the four letters of Yud, Hei, Vav, Hei written in a different way. And when you say Havaya in Hebrew, it means being, and which is another name of God. And the Pasuk, Shiviti Havaya Lenegdi Tamid, it's like I said Havaya in front of me always in everything I do. So we look at it as like that everything that happens to me during the day, every person that I meet, every encounter, everything I see it as part of God, as part of being. And the essence of that is being Ahava. I added the, I composed this, the composition, I add to the Pasuk, I added the word Ahava, love. Which is what I'd like to spread most.
Daphna Rosenberg, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me too. You've been listening to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please join us again at collegecommons.huc.edu.